created to function in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you. Oh, we thank you for my sister's divine healing taking place. Father, in, in, uh, that, Father, that when her cast comes off in just a little under two weeks, that she'll have full function, full, mo- full mobility, that the pain that she's still um, dealing with on the day-to-day, that that pain lessens day by day in Jesus' mighty name. Father, we thank you. Oh, we thank you, Father God. Oh, we thank you for Isaiah. We thank you for Lynn. We thank you that your hand is upon, um, oh, we thank you that your hand is upon joy, Father God. And, Father, we thank you that you're strengthening her lungs. And, Father, that you're weaning, that, that her lungs are able to breathe in oxygen that her body needs without aid or assistance. Father, we thank you in advance that these things are taking place. Father, for we know that when we've prayed for these people, that we've taken their healing by faith and that they received it the moment that we prayed. So, Father, we just give you glory and honor that those healings are beginning to manifest in Jesus' mighty name. Now, Father, uh, we've not listed every name, but you know all the names. And, Father, we thank you that they're all healed. We thank you that they're all recovered. And, Father, once again, we come before you, and we exercise our God-given authority. Father, we exercise our dominion and power. And, Father, we command Satan and all sickness and all spirits of infirmity and all spirits of addiction and all spirits of, of every evil work to release and let go this area in Jesus' mighty name. We command all types of mental illness to be broken. We command uh, schizophrenia and psychosis and, and depression and, and bipolar and ADD and ADHD and OCD and every other alphabetical name in the name. We command those names to come down and to be broken in Jesus' name. We command heart disease to be broken. We command vascular disease and respiratory disease to be broken. We command every type of eye disease to be broken in Jesus' mighty name. We command the bodies to begin to be strengthened and to line up according to the, according to the original design. We charge the angels. We loose the angels of heaven to come down with, the part, with new body parts and to administer them unto the saints. For your word says, Lord, that the angels are to be ministers, servants to the heirs of salvation. And so, Father, we loose the angels from heaven to come down from heaven with body parts so that limbs can grow out. Father, that missing organs can be replaced. Father, so that bone issues can be, can be dealt with. New spines can be entered. That arth- Father, we speak to arthritis and we break the power of arthritis off of the people in Jesus' mighty name. Father, we speak to bad joints and bad knees, and we command the cartilage to be restored in Jesus' name. We command ripped cartilages to be restored. We command uh, decayed and missing cartilages to be restored. We command ligaments and torn torn ligaments and torn muscles to be restored in Jesus' mighty name. And, Father, we thank you that we have authority. We thank you that we have power. We thank you that when we command these things, they must take place in Jesus' mighty name. For we were given the kingdom, that we were given the keys of the kingdom of heaven because of the blood of Christ, because of the resurrection power. And, Father, as we approach your word tonight, Father, we are, as we approach your word to learn how to evict sickness, Father God, we just ask that you open up the eyes of our understanding, that you open up the ears that we may hear and receive, open up the hearts that we may receive it upon the good ground of the heart. Father, we rebuke addiction in Jesus' name. We rebuke sexual addiction. And uh, addiction to alcohol, addiction to any type of substance, addiction to tattooing and uh, cutting the body and piercing the body, any type of addiction, the addiction of gluttony, Father God, addiction to gambling, we break that in Jesus' mighty name. 
And Father, we just give this county and this, the surrounding areas, the surrounding counties and the surrounding states, Father, we turn them back over to you in Jesus' mighty name. And Father, we call in, we call in the prodigals, we call in the lost, we call in the devastated, we call in the broken, we call in those who you call, Father God. And Father, there's no man, woman, or child that you have not called. And so, Father, we call them in from the north, the south, the east, and the west, and Father, we thank you that these healings that we've seen in a trickle will begin to flow in a mighty river. And Father, we thank you that the work of Christ will not be denied in this last day, in this last hour. Father, we thank you that a true move of the Holy Ghost will not be lost to this generation in Jesus' mighty name. Father, we thank you that we're stepping in and we're stepping up and we're stepping into the things that you've called us to be. Father, it's not by our might. It's not by our power but it's through you it's but it's by you through us and we just give you the glory and the honor in jesus mighty name amen and amen glory to god well if you're tuning in and saying what did i miss we just allowed prayer service just to travel on into school into healing school uh so you know we we uh we believe in prayer uh wasn't planning on going here but seems how this is where we went well do you have the power to do all that bonding and all that loosening. Yes, 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 we do have. Yes, we do have. Glory to God. Glory to God. Let's turn to uh, Matthew. Let's turn to Matthew uh, chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Matthew chapter 16. Here, Jesus is asking his disciples, who do people say he is? We have this question today. In fact, we teach our church members, when you are talking to somebody, don't ask them, do you believe in God? Because everybody believes in some God somehow. Even those that say, oh, no, I don't believe in any God at all. Well, guess what? They believe in the God of nothing. That's what they believe in. They believe in a God of nothing. Um, but, no, uh, everybody believes in something. So what we teach our people to do is ask them the same thing that Jesus asked his disciples. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? And that's what Jesus wanted to know. And he wasn't asking this just because he, was, because he wanted to build himself up and feel good about himself. He was asking, who, who do you say that I am for a purpose? Many people believe that Jesus actually lived and existed. In fact, archaeology can prove it. They can prove Jesus was a man. In fact, uh, people that don't even, people of science that don't even believe in Jesus will tell you that Jesus was a man and that he was real. They'll tell you that he was real. They'll tell you, they'll even tell you that we've even seen proof uh, that he was indeed crucified. There's no doubt that Jesus was a man and that he was crucified. What they cannot find proof of is any documentations that say that he, was, that he had legal cause to be crucified. They cannot find out, they, they know, and there's no record anywhere of why he was crucified. Now, you may say, well, that was, you know, thousands of years ago. Why would there be a record? Well, you have to understand that the Romans, the Jews, and the Greeks were all extremely good record keepers. They were extremely good. And it was actually a, it's actually a very unusual thing that they have record of his crucifixion, but they, can't, but they cannot find any evidence. They can't find any records of uh, the judicial cause for his uh, crucifixion. Um, so, so, you know, so here they said, well, some believe that you're a man. Some believe that you're a prophet. Uh, and, and what they meant by a prophet is you, you hear from God. You hear from God. Uh, some people thought that he was uh, Elijah re reincarnated. Uh, we don't believe in reincarnation, neither did they. Uh, but it was prophesied that there would be an, that, that Elijah would return. But it wasn't talking about Elijah the man. It was talking about the mantle that Elijah carried, that gifting. Uh, so some people believe that he was Elijah. Others thought he was Jeremiah. Others thought he was a different prophet. And finally, Jesus looked at his disciples and he asked them. He said, "But who do you say I am?" And apparently, uh, the only brave one in the bunch was John. And uh, he, or, I mean, Peter, I'm sorry. And uh, verse 14, he said, in verse 13, it says, Then Jesus came, came uh, 
to the, into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I am, uh, that I the Son of Man am? And uh, they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, others Elijah, uh, or Elizus, which is Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or Jeremiah out of the Old Testament, or one of the other prophets. And he saith unto them, But who, uh, but whom say you that I am? Okay, I understand that's what they say, but who, my disciples, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter, Simon Peter, you know, Simon Peter had a habit of putting his foot in it. But every once in a while, he got it right. And Simon Peter, you know, kind of jumped in there, and, he, and it says he answered and said, I don't know so much that Simon Peter jumped in there. I kind of think that they were all kind of standing around, and Jesus said, who do you think I am? And I think everybody stepped back. And there stood Simon Peter at the front, and he's looking at them going, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> okay, I guess this is the way we're going to do this. And Simon Peter answered with the most wonderful answer. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. See, Jesus called himself the Son of Man, but Peter called him the Son of God. Peter said, no, no, Jesus, you're so much more than the Son of Man. You are the living Son of God. And when he called him the Christ, uh, really what he was saying is you're the anointed. He was really saying you are the anointed. You're the, you are the power. Really what he was saying is uh, you are the power of the living God is really what he was saying about Christ. Is really, when he said, you're the anointing, how much you know the anointing represents the power? So really what he was saying is you are the power of the living God. And uh, Jesus then replied, and Jesus answered and said, uh, said unto him, blessed art thou. And uh, if you believe that Jesus is the anointed Messiah, the anointed son of the living God, then Jesus is the same thing to you, blessed, blessed. And then he says this wonderful thing. He says, Simon Bar- Barjona, Simon Barjona, uh, he says, For flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto you, so basically he said, Peter, he said, Simon Peter, or um, he said, Simon Barjona, he, he called him by his original name, and he said, because uh, Barjona was the family he was from, he said, Simon you know, how much do you know when your parents call you by first and last name, it gets your attention? Jesus called him by first and last name. And he said, flesh and blood. You did not figure out that you did not figure this out with your pea-headed brain. You, your brain did not figure this out. How you figured this out is because our Father, my Father in heaven, has revealed it to you. Now, verse 18 is where a lot of people get tripped up. He says, and I say unto you that thou art Peter. Now, Peter actually literally means little rock, little rock. He said, little rock, upon this rock, the big rock, what was the big rock? The revelation, the understanding that Christ is the Messiah, that Christ is the living power of God. He said, listen, you little rock. Because you've got this understanding of who the big rock is. He said, upon that revelation, I will build my church. So many people worship Peter, thinking that Peter's the Savior. Peter's not the Savior. Peter was just the first one to declare what he understood out loud. And he said, and and notice what it says here. And it says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Does that mean that the gates of hell won't prevail against Peter? Um, No, because the gates of hell did prevail against Peter. Remember, he was martyred. He was martyred. Now, but that's only in the flesh. You know, he was martyred in the flesh and and a horrible death at that. But how much you know, he got the victory in the end. Because he didn't go down to hell. He went to heaven. So in the flesh, it looks like the gates of hell prevailed. But in the spirit... He had the victory. In fact, we still talk about Peter today. So how much did Satan, I mean, all Satan did was turn him into a martyr. That's all he did. He said, now notice what he says. He said, um, when he said, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, he wasn't talking about Peter. He was talking about the church. 
He was talking about those that have the revelation. He said, I will build my church. Remember, church means the called out ones, called into assembly. You're call, literally, the word church means that you are called out into a public assembly for worship. Isn't that awesome? God took, God took this long definition. You are specifically called out by God. You are called out of your home. You are called to a specific public place. God sets you in the church. And, and this is where you assemble with other believers. And when you are assembled in your power, might, and authority, then the gates of hell will not prevail. The gates of hell will not prevail. Uh, and now, does that mean that I can't use the name of Jesus individually? No, you can. You can, but the power that you have as an individual is limited to your direct circle, to your direct circle. But when the church comes together, how much do you know that changes the authority? We, we prayed for people in here that I don't even know. I have zero authority in their life. But because you know them and you got permission to pray for them and you said, can we get our church to pray? And they gave you that permission through you, through the body coming together. Now we have corporate power to come against these things. He said, let's go to the next verse. He said, no. He said, when the church comes together, the gates of hell will not prevail. Look at what he says. He said, and I will give thee, or I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on the earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou loose on the earth shall be loosed in heaven. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. You see this again in uh, chapter 18, 18. This is the sister verse. But I want you to notice what we bind. He was talking to Peter. He, he, not only was he talking to Peter, but he was talking to the 12, to all the disciples. Because remember, they were gathered together. He wasn't just talking to Peter. He was talking to the gathering. And he said to the gathering, what you bind will be loosed and what you loose will be uh, he said, what you bind on the earth will be bound in heaven, and what you loose in heaven will be loosed upon the earth. God can't send anything to the earth unless somebody asks him. Why? Because he's not the God of this world. He handed our power, he handed his power over to us, and then we, mankind, handed it over to Satan. Well, Jesus came and he took the power back, but once he took the power back, guess what he did with the power? He handed it right back to mankind. It's, that's why he said, I give unto you the keys to the kingdom. How much do you know? If you have a key, what that key, you have access to whatever's behind that key. If you have a key to a locked house, whatever's in that house, if you have the key to get in the house, whatever's in the house belongs to you. You have access to it. You have access to it. So one of the things that we have access to is health and healing. We have access to health and healing. I want you to go to um, Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54. You know, this is a really popular scripture, and we love it so much. Um, but sometimes we don't, really, we don't really look at it fully. And I was sitting there looking at it, and, I, and, and the Lord kept speaking this other scripture to me. And I thought... Well, Lord, is that really connected? And oh, yeah. Isaiah 53, verse 3. Isaiah 53, 3. Uh, and this is Isaiah prophesying about Jesus Christ. He said, he was despised and rejected of men. How much do you know Jesus was despised? He was despised. That word despise means to disesteem. Disesteem. Uh, to esteem means to give respect. So to disesteem uh, means to give no respect. No one showed Jesus the respect that he was due. Uh, and it said, um, it says that he was despised. He was actually seen as worthless. Do you know that even Jesus' own brothers and his own family 
at different time at, at, at different times when he was in his home city he they, he they basically said jesus you have lost your mind come into the house before they come and arrest you and kill you they were like uh the brother has lost his mind the bro- they they even saw jesus himself as worthless at at one point in fact now it's interesting that they saw him that way in the gospels but then two of his brothers wrote two of the books to the new testament isn't that interesting why because they came to find out uh that that their little brother was worse or their older brother their big brother i should say was worth something says he was despised and rejected of men rejected he's still rejected today of many he was a man of sorrows that word sorrows means to he he, it means he experienced both physical and mental anguish he experienced both physical and mental anguish he was accounted he was accounted with grief acquainted with grief acquainted with grief which means in other words he actually experienced sickness when did jesus experience sickness at the whipping post at the whipping post he was acquainted with sickness because at the whipping post and on the cross he experienced every type of sickness every type of illness every type of mental anguish um when he when the when the crown of thorns was beat upon his head the blood that poured from his head was blood paid so that all mental illness could be redeemed could be set free all mental can you imagine the mental anguish that you would go through from having those those thorns beat into your head imagine the anguish that you went through when you watched those that walked closely with, i mean they walked with you they practically lived in your house and yet they turned and rejected you imagine the mental anguish that he went through when he preached his final sermon and most of the in fact everybody but the disciples left him but the original disciples every i mean there was a multitude there were thousands of people there he preached his last sermon and basically he was like i'm going to die eat my flesh drink my blood be redeemed they didn't understand that it was a parable and they all said this man is a lunacy he's talking about cannibalism and they left him imagine the mental torment that came in that moment so he was acquainted with mental torment he was acquainted with physical torment i mean he had listen that cat of nine tails that thing meant business you know i don't know if you realize that you know it's one thing to be whipped have you ever been accidentally whipped that sounds weird right uh i've got i've got uh, i've always had big dogs and you know they've got that big whip tail if they've ever smacked you with it just right it doesn't feel good uh we used to work in the in the pet industry and uh we we had the horse you know little whips or things like that and uh you know sometimes you get to goofing around especially when you're young and you kind of smack you know you kind of get to a a whip war with those things let me tell you what those things hurt and they're just a little piece of leather on the end of a stick listen you know um you know the 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 regular like the you know the um you know the big bull whips and the big you know um oh what's his name? indiana jones you know the big indiana jones whip you know can you imagine being whipped with that thing i mean that thing draws blood and a, and a long stripe of it but this cat of nine tails was like that only there were nine there were nine whips on it and the, not only were there nine of them but they actually had shards of glass metal and rock weaved into them so that when they hit the body they would actually grab a hold like claws and then uh the person controlling the whip would move in such a function that instead of it just releasing and coming up it would actually lodge in and cut and be ripped through the body and he was whipped with that cat of nine tails now a lot of people say oh he took 39 lashes no he took more than 39 strikes and every strike had potentially up to 9 different stripes that could hit him at once this was an excessive assault 
And even before he was excessively assaulted, uh, they ripped out his beard by, I mean, they just grabbed his handfuls of hair and just ripped out his beard. They spit on him. They spit in his face. I mean, this was torturous. They made him, I mean, he's whipped, he's bleeding. They make him carry the cross uh, on rugged, uh, he's, he's worn out on rugged rock roads. The, the cross post, he didn't do the whole cross, just the, the arm post. Um, and that was just heavy as all get out anyways. And therefore he would fall and he would trip because he was at the point of mental exhaustion. Have you ever had road rash on your knees? Have you ever had that as a kid? That don't feel good. Imagine doing that on, on body parts that have already been ripped apart with the cat of nine tails. I mean, this is not, this is not a comfortable thing. And then, to be, then he was uh, nailed to the cross and hung, and he was literally suffocating in his own bodily fluids. I mean, it was just horrific. And bones were, you know, his body was completely disjointed. Um, he was acquainted. It says that he was acquainted with sickness. He was acquainted with sickness. Um, how much do you know? Um, infection probably had already set up in his body at that point. How much do you know? It, um, uh, not only infection, but probably some rot had already set up. Just, I mean, just can you imagine? And then can you imagine the uh, hypertension or hypotension, the blood stuff that he went through? Can you imagine what that did to his blood sugars? I mean, can you just, if you just think about everything that would collapse, I mean, absolute organ failure. He experienced everything. He experienced all of it in a matter of hours. Every type of sickness there is. Can you imagine the swelling and the inflammation that was taking place? You know, because a lot of people will say, well, he didn't have my sickness. No, he, he lived with your sickness to the extreme, having had never experienced sickness a day in his life. So he was very acquainted with, where it says acquainted with grief, it actually means acquainted with sickness. He was, he was uh, in, basically he had a one-on-one -on -one encounter with your sickness. And it says, despite this, we hid, as it were, our faces from him. How much, you know, most people don't, you know, when I get to talking about this, people, you know, because I, I, I explain it pretty graphically, and a lot of people go, they cringe, and they're like, oh, stop, oh, why? Because as you think about it, your automatic instinct is to just turn your face. Uh, if you ever watch Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ, he did an extremely good job of depicting it, but yet even what he did didn't depict it well enough. And, and you know, and the, you know anytime I've seen that, I just, it I'm like, I can't, mm -mm. you know. So we see him as worthless, but yet we won't even watch what he goes through. We won't even look at, we don't even consider, we turn our faces from him. It says he was despised, there's that word again, uh, considered worthless, and we esteemed him not. We didn't give him any respect, we didn't give him any honor, and uh, no honor was given to him. He says, surely he hath borne our griefs. That word born means to lift up. He lifted up. He bear up. He carry. Better yet, I love this definition, to take away. He took away uh, to, or to bear the load. So many people say, well, I'm just bearing my cross, talking about sickness. I'm just bearing my disease. I'm just carrying my sickness for God's glory. Honey, Jesus already did it. For you to carry it is to put to shame the work that he did. For you to carry your sickness, for you to carry disease in your body, is to say, Jesus, the work you did at the cross wasn't good enough. It says that he uh, borne our griefs, and um, that word griefs, again, means sickness. He says he carried, which means to make oneself a burden. He purposely made himself a burden of sickness so that we would not have to carry the burden of sickness. He did it for us. And, um, and he, again, it says, and yet we esteem him, uh, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. <laughs> well, well, God did it. God did it. Honey, God did not crucify his son. 
let me be very clear. God did not crucify his son. If anybody is guilty of crucifying his son, it's us. It's not even the Jews. It's not even the Jews. It's all of humanity because somebody had to pay the price for all evil works. Somebody had to pay the price. And yet, we'll cross our arms, we'll turn up our nose, we'll huff at God and say, I'm not serving a God that would do that to their child. Who is that God? Why would that God do that? You don't understand. Jesus willingly left heaven knowing that there had to be a living sacrifice. He went to the Father God and he said, God, send me. God, I'll go. When he entered the covenant on Abraham's behalf, he said, Father, they'll never be able to withstand what has to be done. I'll go. I'll take the covenant mark. I'll do. I'll be the living sacrifice. You have to understand that Jesus left the throne willingly as God, and in the garden he made the decision. He told the Lord, he said, Father God, I don't want to go. I do not want to go. If there's any other way, he came face to face with human weakness. And he said, Father, I don't want to do it. Can we take a little side journey right here? Take a little side journey. God puts callings and purposes in people's hearts. And time and time and time again, I have watched people run straight into Satan's arms because they don't want to do what God wants them to do because it's too hard. What if Jesus had done? Jesus had the right to make that same decision. Jesus had every right. He even told them, he said, do you not know I can call an, 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 a legion of angels right now? And, and, and this would be done? This would be over? All I have to do is say, God, I'm not doing this. And, and he wouldn't have had to go to the cross. God would, have, God would have said, okay, son, you don't have to go. You don't have to go. But Jesus said, Lord, he said, Father, not my will. Not my will. And here's the most amazing thing. Because Jesus said, not my will, but your will. When we say, Father, not my will, but your will, we will never have to face anything like Jesus faced. Never. Why? Because he's already whipped every test, every trial, every demon, every sickness, every hardship, every moment of poverty, everything that we could come up against, he has already conquered it. You will never have to go through anything in this world where you come under such emotional stress that you begin to sweat blood because Jesus has already reached that point for you. Before you ever get to that point, before you get to total collapse, Jesus and the angels will come alongside you and strengthen you and say, I'll carry it from here. But yet, we esteem him to be stricken. We say, no, Jesus, it's okay. I'm going to go ahead and go sin. Here's some more stripes. No, Jesus, I don't want to do that. Um, so I'm not going to go and I'm not going to go do active sin, but I'm going to do rebellious, uh, the, the rebellious sin of omission. I'm just not going to, like, I'm not going to live dirty, but I'm not going to sell out to you either. That's, that's choosing uh, for him to be smitten of God and afflicted. That's, and it's a choice that we get to make. It's a choice that we get to make. And it says, but, so even though he endured all of this, there was a reason. But he was wounded for our transgressions. Jesus went through everything he went through because he knew that we would misstep. Jesus went through everything we went through. It says he was bruised for our iniquities. Everything that he went through in his viewpoint, was nothing more than a bruise. Nothing more than a bruise. I mean, we were just describing it, and people were like, oh, ooh, ah. 
you know. And yet Jesus looked at that and said, that's nothing more than a bruise. I mean, in the moment, yeah, he felt like it was way more than a bruise. But in the grand scheme of things, he said, eh, it was a bruise. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. In order for us to walk in peace daily, he had to go through it. And look at this, and it says, and with his stripes, we are healed. Now, this is Isaiah. This is the Old Testament. And Isaiah said, as soon as he's striped, healing is part of the redemption work. And as soon as Jesus goes through this experience right here, as soon as the Messiah experiences this right here, then you are completely healed. Then why do we deal with sickness? Why do we deal with disease? Why, why, why does this not, why, what, what's going on here? Go to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. I've taught this scripture so many times, and uh, I saw something. Matthew chapter 8. This is what I call the great I, the great I will chapter. You go through here, and you just see that it's God's will to heal every time. God's will to heal absolutely every time. And as I read, as I read this, I thought, something very interesting here, Lord. Isaiah chapter 8. We're going to pick up. In uh, verse 15, well, we'll pick up in verse 14. It says, And when Jesus was come to Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. So here he is. He goes to Peter's house. Guess what? Peter was not a poor disciple. Peter had a house. Peter had a house. And Jesus visited Peter's house. And Peter lived in the house, and Peter's uh, wife lived in the house, and Peter's mother-in-law lived in the house. Oh, see, they're, they're doubling up. That's poverty. No. In order for Peter to have his wife, Peter had to pledge to take care of Peter's wife's family, which means Peter had to have some resources. Peter had to have some resources. He wasn't living in mama's house, uh, mother-in-law's house. Mother-in-law was living in his house. He had, some, he had some provision, and Jesus went with him. And it says, and he, talking about Jesus, touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she arose and, minister, rose and administered unto them. Here she has, she's got a fever. Jesus, the one who carries the power of God. Do you carry the power of God? Yes. The one who carries the power of God, the one who is the power of God, reached over and touched Peter's mother-in-law, and she got up. Not, she didn't just go, oh, I don't feel so hot and sweaty now, but I still need time to rest. No, she was completely healed. She got up, and she cooked him a meal, and she, t- I mean, she, she hosted the whole thing. That's what it means when she says that she administered unto them. And when evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. Well, I thought we were talking about healing. Oh, we are. We are. So here they are. They're at Peter's house. How would you like that? You'd be sitting at your friend's house. Got the power of God working. You're, you're having some fellowship with your Christian friends. And all of a sudden, here come people with demon-possessed people knocking on the door. Going, hello, hello. He says, they brought on to him one or two, many, many that were possessed with devils. Many that were possessed with devils. Um, I think in this situation, I, I, we, we could say that they were many that because we understand devils and demons and how they operate better. I think we could say it this way. There were many that were obsessed, oppressed, and possessed, different levels. There were many that were possessed with devils, and he, being Jesus, cast out the spirits. Cast out the spirits with what? His word. Another. What was his word? Come out. Come out. Now he's Jesus. He doesn't have to say, "Come out in my name." They knew who he was. We, when we deal with demons and when we deal with sickness, we have to use his name. Why? Because we're using him by proxy. We're using him, we're telling him, we're telling the sickness, we're telling the infirmity, we're telling the demon that brought the sickness, uh, we come in the name of Jesus. And let me tell you what, the demons know if you know Jesus or not. So if you don't know Jesus, don't try this. 
uh, he says that uh, he said he cast out the spirits with his word and did what and healed all and healed all that were sick many that came that had that were oppressed that were obsessed oppressed or possessed that what they they had sicknesses in their body they had different types of sicknesses why because satan is the author of all sickness if there is sickness i mean yes we understand genetics honestly what god when we say genetics what god hears is generational curse it's what he hears when we say lost and dying world he hears the curse that's what god hears that's what they want to hear so jesus he says that he cast them out and healed all how many did he heal all that were sick now there's a semicolon here now this is crazy look at what it says verse 17 it says that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by isaiah the prophet saying himself took our infirmities our sicknesses now they just said he was casting out demons but we saw the colon that says what he just said is connected to what we just said or to what i'm saying now and he says the casting out of demons and the healing of the sick was so that it might be fulfilled that the which was spoken by isaiah the prophet saying himself took our infirmities when jesus was on the cross before he was on the cross who do you think pulled out the hair of his beard let's stop and think about this who do you think pulled out the hair jews romans yeah it was human beings absolutely but they were being persuaded they were being they were being prompted they were being motivated by demonic spirits demonic spirits were 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 operating in the people and around the people to cause them to behave in such a horrific manner if they had not been if the people had not been drenched in demonic activity they would have never done what they did it actually the, the when you actually read the scriptures when you read about the crucifixion and you read about the whipping when you get all of the pieces together you begin to realize that the guards that whipped him they whipped him beyond measure because they were intoxicated under demonic influence they were they were thriving on the sick perversion of sickness that they were laying upon Christ. So what so when it says he himself took our infirmities what he was dealing was not only was he dealing with the sickness itself, he was dealing with the demons that bring the sickness. He was dealing with the demons that bring the sickness. He said, and bear our sickness. He bore the physical manifestation of what was happening in the spirit realm. That's what he was bearing. So sitting here and I was reading this and I was meditating on this and I was thinking about this. And I was thinking, you know, Lord, we always equate the cross with just physical sickness. But it's very clear because he was just dealing with demons that on the cross is where he also began to deal with spirits of infirmity and sickness and other types of illnesses. And uh, just he just dropped the scripture down in my heart, and I thought, huh, let's go to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. We're talking about evicting sickness. Evicting sickness. That word cast out gives us the idea of evicting when you cast something out you evict it so luke chapter 4 and uh we're going to pick up let's pick up in verse uh 31 and came down to Capernaum, a city in Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath day. So this is Jesus. He's in Capernaum. 
uh, or in the city of Galilee. He's teaching it on Sabbath day. And it says, and they were astonished at his doctrine. You've got, you got to go back up and you'll find out who's all there. There's Pharisees, Sadducees, Jews, all kinds of people are there. And uh, it says that they were astonished at his doctrine, the level of teaching that he was doing. He was teaching the law in a totally different way than it had ever been taught. By, taught. And it says, uh, and for his, and here's why they were astonished. Look, there's a colon. They explain why they were astonished. It said, for his word was with power. This word power can be translated for his word or his speaking or his teaching was with anointing or with authority. He taught differently. So um, in the Jewish culture, uh, everybody wants to follow a rabbi. They, looked, they, saw Jesus as just an, they saw Jesus as another teacher. Uh, you know, and he was a good teacher. But there was something about this teacher that was different because all of the other rabbis were, were teaching from a Bible study viewpoint. Where Jesus, on the other hand, he was teaching as though the word of God actually had power, so much power that he himself had power. He himself had authority. And that's what it means. They were astonished because of the authority that he taught with. And in the synagogues, there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil. That means his, his, probably his manner of, a, of um, appearance was probably not real clean, not real pristine. But the biggest thing is, is his mind was filthy. He had a filthy mind. Have you ever been around somebody uh, that's in the church and yet they just have a filthy mind? More than likely, there's an unclean spirit present. More than likely. There's an, at least an unclean spirit um, kind of off in the distance, just constantly bombarding that person's mind. Uh, but this man, had, he, it says that he actually had an unclean spirit, a spirit of an unclean devil, which means that that, devil, that unclean devil was living in him, and cried out with a loud voice. In fact, this, per, this, this person had given heed to this unclean spirit so much that when Jesus began to speak, this demon began to speak and disrupt Jesus' service. And uh, this is what the demon said through that man, saying, let, uh, or let alone, they put the word us in there to, to kind of try to help us, but sometimes that messes us up. He said, let alone, what have we to do with thee? Indicating that there's more than one present. Uh, uh, what have we to do with thee, Jesus of Nazareth? Notice that demon knew specifically who Jesus was. Sometimes when you're dealing with devils and demons or sometimes when you're dealing with your own flesh, you need to get bold and say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, because, you know, there's other Jesuses in the world. And uh, you need to know. Notice how specific this demon was. This demon said, this is not just any Jesus. This is Jesus of Nazareth. He said, art thou come to destroy us? See, even the devils know. Even the de he hadn't even been to the cross yet, and yet the demons know that he's coming with power to destroy them. And the demon said, I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. The demon was not, what was that demon trying to do? That demon was trying to stir up the people to kill Christ before he could accomplish what God had called him to do. Uh, and this is, you know, so just like Jesus came under persecution, we're going to come under persecution. And now check out what Jesus does. And Jesus rebuked him. Now, I don't think Jesus rebuking this devil sounded like this. Now, you unclean spirit, I would really appreciate it if uh, you wouldn't tell everybody who I am because it's not time yet. That is not how Jesus responded. It says that he rebuked. Do you know that Jesus rebuked the disciples? I do not want to be on the receiving, edge, receiving side of Jesus' rebuke. I've heard a few testimonies of what that looks like, and I've heard the rebuking voice of Christ once. Um, yeah, I don't want that angled at me. No. Uh, no, I guarantee you uh, the power of God went forth out of him, and Jesus very sternly said, Hold thy peace and come out of him. Listen, when you come in contact with a devil, you better have some authority. 
Every time a devil has showed up, I mean the spirit of faith has been right there. And that, that loud voice, there's a reason the Lord gave me a loud voice. There's a reason the Lord gave me a passionate voice. Uh, but, well, I'm just not that way. That's not my personality. Oh, when you got a demon manifested in front of you, you're going to find out what your personality is real quick. You're going to find out real quick. Uh, Jesus said, Jesus said, uh-uh. He said, hold thy peace and come out of him. I mean, he was immediate. And when the devil had thrown him in the mist, he came out of him and hurt him not. The devil's always going to act out when you first deal with him. He's always going to act out, show out, because he's upset. And look at verse 36. So they're talking about how to evict sickness. He said, and they were all amazed and spake amongst themselves, saying, what a word this. Like, they're like, what? How did he? What, what word is this? Like, wait, how did he do that? They were shocked and amazed. And it says, and he said, and this is why they were shocked. Number one, he said, for with authority, with authority, in order to evict sickness, you must know and you must understand that you have authority over sickness. You have, you have all dominion. You have all power. You, you don't ask sickness to go. You have to know that sickness has no legal right to your body, which is why repentance is so important in receiving healing. Because if you know that you've been sinning, then guess what that's going to do to your authority? It's going to diminish. It's going to diminish your authority. Why? Because you're fellowshipping with the devil. You look, I mean, this is so funny. You're fellowshipping with the devil. Do you think the devil's going to look at you and go, oh, it's okay. You can exercise authority over me. I'll, I'll listen to you. When you've been surrendering to him, that's not how this is going to work. Do you all know anything about dogs? Know a few things about dogs. Well, if you don't know about dogs, let me help you something. And this is pretty true in a lot in, in any pack-like situation, any pack animal situation. So dogs are pack animals. And in the pack, there's what's called the alpha dog. There's the alpha. And the alpha decides who eats, when they eat, how much they eat. The alpha decides where everybody sleeps. The alpha decides how the pack is ruled and reigned. The alpha is the boss. Uh, so if you want to have a very well-controlled house when you have dogs, guess who needs to be the alpha? The owner. The owner needs to be the alpha. I've seen people, their dogs will jump up on the table and steal food and everything. And I'm like, mm-mm, that don't fly in my house. No, we don't do that. Uh-uh, no. Uh-uh. How do you establish dominancy? Well, dogs are very interesting. Don't do this with some stranger dog that you don't know. Uh, you know, you might end up with more than you can handle. Same thing with devils. But how, you, how dogs establish dominancy is one will flip. They'll, they'll wrestle. They'll jump at each other and what have you when, so that one can flip the other on its back. And they'll flip it on its back. The, the, stronger, the stronger dog, usually a stronger male, sometimes the female, but the stronger dog will flip the weaker dog over on its back and pin it so it can't move. It'll kind of put its body on it so it can't move. And then with its canine teeth, those puncturing teeth, they'll put those puncturing teeth right on the juggler. And they'll begin to squeeze. And that dog that is on its back with its neck exposed with that eye tooth right there on its juggler knows one wrong move and this guy's going to bite down, and that's going to be the end. How much do you know that dog knows he has authority, the one on top? He knows he has authority. So how do you, in your pack, how are you going to establish dominancy? You're going to flip that dog over on his back swift and fast. You're going to pin the body, and you're going to put your hand on the juggler. The other thing that they do is they look at them, while their, while their jaw is here, they do their very best to make eye contact, and they begin to growl. 
And, the, uh, and how they'll know that they now have dominancy is the one that is pinned will avert his eyes and go limp. So you have your alpha. But after the alpha, you have other, the next, the next strongest dog will be the second alpha. In our house, we have three chihuahuas and, and what we affectionately call the 80-pound chihuahua. He's 80 pounds. He is a Labrador Rhodesian Ridgeback. Rhodesian Ridgebacks, if you know anything about them, they were bred for, for hunting lions. So he's fast, he's big, he's got a lot going on with him. Um, and who is the alpha in our house? Well, amongst the humans, it's mom and dad and granny. Pretty, pretty close to that order. Um, and then, because I'm the one that's home to train them the most. And then, uh, after that, the smallest chihuahua is the boss. And we made this smallest chihuahua the boss because if we, if we allowed the big boy to be the boss, he could have injured the little ones. So the big boy, uh, while he'll protect his siblings, he knows he's not the boss. He knows it. In fact, all you have to do to say, all you have to say to Chico is put that big dog on the run and Chico is after him. And Chico is like, I don't know, I'm getting it. So my sister came in today. And uh, she brought her golden retriever in with her, who's a pup. He's about a year old. And he's almost as big as, as uh, Toby. They're almost the same size. What was the first thing that Toby, the bottom of the rung in our house, attempted to do? No. The first thing he attempted to do was to become the alpha over my sister's dog. He tried to gain rank. Guess what? The demons that bring sickness to your life are trying to grain rank in your life. You have to, what you have to do is you have to exercise your God-given authority. What is that authority? The name of Christ. So this is why you need to study and find out, did Christ really defeat everything? This is why you need to study and find out that every name that is named, Brand new sickness. I mean, we just had this COVID. Just came out of nowhere. Poof, there was no COVID. Uh, guess what? Jesus has already defeated it. Well, it wasn't there when Jesus was. Well, no, but the scripture says in Deuteronomy 28 that every name, that every sickness written in the book and every sickness that comes after the writing of the book, that every sickness is under the curse. And then Galatians 3.13 says that uh, because he hung on the tree, we're redeemed from the curse. We're redeemed from the curse. And so he said this. So number one, you have to know that you have authority. You have to know who Jesus is. You have to know that sickness has no legal right to stay. Number two, and it says, uh, for with authority and power. The second thing you have to know is that Jesus gave you the keys to the kingdom. You have to know that you have the power to evict sickness. You have to have the power. Well, how do we know that we have the power? Well, we just saw it in uh, Isaiah, and we just saw it right here that um, in Matthew. We saw that Jesus, by his stripes, we were healed, which means if we were healed, then there's power to make sickness go. We saw in Matthew that with the keys of the kingdom, that uh, whatever we bind, if we bind sickness on the earth, then heaven backs us. We have all of the power of heaven backing us. So once you know you have authority, once you know that you have power, it says, for with authority and power, he did what? He commanded the unclean spirit to come out. He commanded the unclean spirits, and notice it says spirits, and they came out. Well, we saw that Jesus was casting out demons and healing the sick. So if you can cast out, if you can evict a demon, then you can cast out and evict a sickness because a sickness is a tool in a demon's toolbox to take you down. So what does that mean you have to do? That means you have to command. Now, here's, and, and here's the deal. We have it in our mind that it takes a lot to evict. 
because of housing laws and what we deal with today. You know, somebody comes in and you have, you know, you have to give them so many days of warnings and then you have to go through the courts and then they have to have so much time to move out. And then you can begin the evicting process, but then that takes forever before you can actually evict them. Aren't you glad that devils and demons don't work on that eviction system? Glory to God. No, they work on the eviction system of Christ, and when God speaks, they must obey. So what happens with the, huh? That's right. So we got to, so, you know, so when sickness, when sickness attacks, you got to flip that sickness on its back, grab it by the juggler, growl at it, and tell it to get out in Jesus' name and not take no for an answer. So many people fail to get their sickness because they make this statement right here. I will be healed. That is future tense. That is future tense. If you are constantly saying, God will heal me, I will receive my healing, I will, well, when are you going to do it? When are you going to get healed? It's 100% in your ballpark. It's 100% your choice. So I said a couple weeks ago, it's amazing how long somebody will choose to stay in the storm. They'll choose to stay in the storm. Why are, how are they choosing? Because they continue to say, I, someday I'll get my healing. Someday I'll be pain-free. Someday it'll come my way. No, honey, you've got to begin to declare it now. You've got to use your authority. You've got to, you've got to know that you have authority. You've got to know that you have power. And you have to command and not take no for an answer. I mean, think about it. If you, were, if you went to war and you were the commanding officer and you went to your troops and you said, well, this border is being, is being threatened to be taken over. Uh, we have authority. We have power. You have all the weapons you need. I would like for you to uh, go and eventually keep them from crossing the border. What do you think is going to happen? They're crossing the border. They're coming. What do you think sickness is going to do? It's going to cross the border. No. How much do you know? The military goes and they said, this is what we're doing. They, they pass down a command. The sergeants get out there to the troops and they say, you know, attention. And they all stand at attention and they give the command. And then they go immediately into action, immediately into action. This is honestly, this, I, this revelation, this understanding that it's now is what finally got me out of pain. Because I kept, I kept expecting God to take the pain. I kept saying, eventually, I'll get past the pain. I kept saying, uh, I kept saying, pain, go. I kept giving the command, but there was no authority and there was no trust in the power. I was wishing a command. Wishing a command. Pain, go. Pain, go. Because every time, because how much you know? If I give you a direction and I say go, and then I go, and, and you start to go, and I go, hey, come back here. No, you need to go. And then you start to go. And I go, hey, come back here. By the way, I told you to go. You're not going fast enough. Go. So you start to turn. I said go. What are you doing? The pain's like, what, why? Because you keep calling it. You keep calling it. Stop calling it. Start saying, Father, I thank you. I have no pain. Father, I thank you that pain is gone from my body. What are we doing? Number, first, you have to command it. Number one, know you have authority. Number two, know that you have power. You know that Satan, uh, that, that Satan cannot stand in the power of God. Know that you have the power to lose. Know that you have the power to bind. And then once you've meditated on it and you know that you know that you know that it cannot remain, then that's the moment that you command. And then here's a, here's a little key point. Uh, command for it to go and for it to never return. For it never to return. Now, what happens if it returns? I told you to get and do not come back. Again, authority, power, command. And don't, don't say out of your mouth, well, 
I sent the pain away, but it came back, so I guess that's just the way it's going to be. No, you've been surrendering to that demon for however long you've been dealing with your sickness. Do you think he's not going to try to come back around to put that back on you? Of course he's going to. Of course he's going to. He's like a, I mean, he, the, Satan and his demons are perfect salesmen. Have you ever gone to a, a, have you ever gone to buy something kind of expensive? And you walk in and you're just browsing because you're not sure exactly what you want yet and you want some time to read the tags. What's the salesman come to do? Hey, what can I get for you? What can I, and you immediately say, I'm good. I'm just browsing. Thank you. And they back off. Five minutes later, here they are. Do you have any questions? No, I'm good. Thank you. How much do you know? You have to keep pushing them away. But the moment that you ask them one question, the moment that you ask that one question, have you, fig- have you figured out that once you ask them one question, it's three times as hard to get rid of them? You know, you have to, in fact, you kind of have to get a little stern with them, and you kind of have to say, no, seriously, thank you for answering my question. I'm going to need some time or I have literally had to say, thank you for answering my question. I'm, uh, I, I think I'm going to think on this a while. And I have left the department. I have left the entire area just so I can get away from the salesman. Sickness is the same way. You acknowledge that sickness one time, and it's like, here I am. Here I am. Here I am. No. How you're going to evict is know your authority, power, and command. Glory to God. Authority, power, and command. Uh, And, of course, we know 1 Peter 2.24. In 1 Peter 2.24, it says, by his stripes we were healed. So when sickness comes to to attack, you can say, "Mm, sickness. And Isaiah 53, it says that when he was striped, we were healed. And uh, 1 Peter 2.24 says says that we were healed. And if I was healed, then I am healed. Uh, you know, First Peter two twenty four says that back there on the cross, I was healed. Um, so guess what, sickness? That means you have no right to stay. Now get out. <laughs> and you have to listen. I, I'm a little dramatic, but honestly, I have found you have to be a little dramatic. I have found you have to. Jesus was not this sweet, kind loving, gentle Jesus that everybody, including the devils and the demons, get to go to heaven. No, he rebuked. He rebuked and he rebuked sternly and strongly. And so we have to learn to do the same thing. We have to learn to rebuke. And you'll notice uh, that when, that when uh, I pray for people that are sick, when, I get, when it gets to that point where I'm like, you got to go, I use some command voice. I use some command tone. Why? Because I need that devil to know I ain't playing. I am not playing. Zach, if you'll come. Thank you, Jesus. Bring me an envelope too, honey. I left my phone and everything behind, so I'm going to have to do it this way. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. I'll do it as soon as I get my phone. Uh, if you're giving, uh, if you if you're giving in house, you can write your checks to DHM. If you're giving cash, that's fine. You want to give online? The instructions are on the screen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. Father, we thank you for your grace and your kindness. Father, we just love and exalt you on high. Father, we thank you that you showed us how to, Father God, how to. Um, evict sickness from our lives and father we give you the glory and the honor and the praise as we sow a seed into your house father god we thank you that you bring us an increase supernaturally farther than we could and father you cause it to come or to to bring a harvest more than we could ever ask hope or thank a great harvest and father we thank you that you cause the seed that is sowed to go farther than expected Father, we thank you for taking care of your house. Father, I thank you for each and every one of these wonderful people. We bless you in the name of Jesus, and we thank you for your goodness. Satan, we command you to take your hands off the money. Angels, go get the increase. Cause it to come in every area of life. And, Father, we thank you that we are healed and redeemed from sickness. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Glory to God. You can serve the people. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you 